0: say the, you know, just think about all of this. When when I got to the text today that we're going to cover, um, the the text is very much central to the theme of suffering. And I thought it was something that was probably a good thing for us to step back for a moment and really make sure we had a good basis to understand how we deal with a whole lot that's going on right now. Uh, I was thinking a lot about Ken and just some of the struggles that I know he must be going through. Uh, During this time, I think about so many in our community uh, who are uh, losing jobs, uh, who who are sick, who are worried about being sick or worried about losing jobs. Um, There's a lot going on. And and so what I want to do today, to the extent we can, is really use this text as a basis to wrestle with this understanding of what does it mean to suffer? Um, You know, does God love us? You know, why would a good God allow these things to happen um, how How can we understand everything that 's going on uh, with a God who should be all powerful and all loving and all good but somehow all this just stuff happens around us how do we How do we grapple with that especially as Christians or in in point as christians and uh, as I started really thinking this through. Uh, this theme, we could do a two month series on uh, if we really wanted to. And so I'm going to try to do all I can to encapsulate it today using this text as the basis. Uh, but it really as I got into it and started thinking about it more and more. Uh, it got me down to uh, something much more fundamental that I think we need to start with. And so if for any of you guys who are on the Facebook group, you saw I threw out a couple of questions and just for you to be considering before class. And, and so just a quick aside, if you're not on the Facebook group, please join our Facebook group. You can uh, search for it on the Northside Men's Bible Study and uh, we, can, we can give you access to it, but we'll be posting prayer requests and sermons and stuff like that on there. Uh, but the one question I had was, was this. So the first question was, what does it mean to live the good life? What does it mean to live the good life? Did anyone have any thoughts on that that they wanted to share with the group?
1: Well, the only thing I came up with, can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Uh, to me, living the good life sounds like it's an active command, which it, it is an active command, but it's not so much the works and, and trying to be perfect. It, to me, living the good life is submitting to God and stepping outside my ego And especially in circumstances like this, realizing that I have so little, so little control and that he is in control and that while I've got, you know, specters popping up on each shoulder going, man, this needs to happen this way. And this needs to happen that way. And I sure hope God sees my wisdom in this and makes this go here. Living the good life at this point is just shutting up, submitting and knowing that that is the best road out of this darkness, and that is active. I have to make that choice on a minute-by-minute basis, but it's not yeah. an active in the sense that it's not something I can do. It's, it's not it's not a me deal. It's a me bowing my head, getting down on my knees, and saying, no, it's him. I can't do this. I have no clue what's going on. I don't. You know, my child came to me, when this started my, my high school senior is his senior year is shot and said, dad, you know, what, what do we do here? And I said, son, I've never been through this either. I mean this is something your grandmother is wrestling with for the first time. So, you know, it's, it's an active submission. It's an active lack of self action. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and think about your answer there. Your answer was a very good Christian answer, which is the good life for you is a result of the consequence of obedience to God. You know, so your your idea of good is a fully trusting in God to tell you what a good life really looks like. And and so I I think the answer to this question, if we were to ask, if we were to just poll know a hundred thousand people on both sides of the the coast if we were to look outside the us and say let's get the average americans and let's say what does it mean to have or to live the good life i think you get a very different answer Uh, Mm -hmm. i I think you would um you'd probably get a dean just like i'm echoing if you want to mute everybody there um we we get a very different answer whenever we pull different people groups and so you may get people who We're saying the good life is to make sure you have a nice house, nice car, a career that you love. Um, If you go overseas, though, into different cultures, you may have a very different view of what it means to live a good life. And and a lot of those first principles, so to speak, of of what it means to live a good (coughs) life shapes so much of what we do. It shapes our political views. It shapes the way we engage in society, it shapes what we fight for, it shapes what we aspire to, Uh, so much of that. And so as I started thinking about what does it mean to live the good life, it then got me to even more fundamental question of what does it mean to be good, right? What does it mean to be good? It's a very basic word for us that we hear all the time, but what does good actually mean? And, and I just I hope you guys can bear with me a little bit in this rabbit trail I'm going to go down. And I may confuse myself as I go down this rabbit trail, but just bear with me with it. But I started thinking, what does it actually mean to be good? How do I know what good is? And so if you go back to the very first mention in the Bible of good, it will probably all come to your all's minds. You know, We hear good, we, we think about God in his creation, what he created, and he called Good. You know, we, if we go back to what was the world like before the fall, we saw that there was union between men and God. We saw that there was relationship and community. Uh, we saw that we had purpose in life. You know, Adam and Eve were, were joyfully working the garden. They were given a job to do, a task to do by God. They had purpose. They were completely aligned to God's will and got to enjoy that obedience and that relationship with him everyone played a part and God called that good both his creation and how man communed with him how man interacted with nature all of that was good and so so for us what we understand right now as the good life or what is good all really goes back to a fundamental truth that we're basing that on something that God has told us is good I mean if we really think about it there is no way that humanity overall can come up with a single determination for what is good or what is bad, you know, what is beautiful, what is, what is disgusting, you know, what is right, what is wrong. You know, mankind cannot come up with that determination uh, collectively. Uh, we've proven that as societies across the board, we have fundamental disagreements on what right and wrong are, what good and bad are, what beautiful and ugly are. We have fundamental disagreements on it we have to put our basis in these fundamental truths like what is good in what God has told us is good because we cannot rely a lot of people will will say that I'm wrong on that statement and what you'll hear is people say well nature can help you understand what is good Uh, but if we relied upon nature to tell us what is good what we would find is that nature would tell us that violence and aggression and survival of the fittest is good. And I think a lot of us right now would completely disagree that that is good. Uh, A lot of people would say that reason, we would use reason to collectively determine what is good. And reason can only get you so far, but it cannot help you understand the underlying foundational principles of what is good, what is the way. Um, If you really think about it, if we did not have God as the basis of everything we understand to be right and wrong, good and evil, if we didn't have God leading us there, then everything is permissible, right? Everything's permissible. And it would be more like a free-for-all. You know, I mean, think. step back for a minute and think about it. The only reason we, we all collectively agree that this pen right here is blue, other than Jean who has colorblindness. But for all of us who are not colorblind, We all agree that this pen is blue because someone had told us at one point in time that that is blue, right? The same principle occurs for us making sure we know what is good and right and wrong because God has told us that. And so for us, we we may naturally fall into these understandings. We've grown up in the culture that that agrees upon this, that has been built upon these principles. Uh, But we need to step back and realize that so much of the foundational understanding we have gets back to the fact that at some point in time, God told us that that is so, right? And so the reason I bring this up before we talk about suffering is because that logic will lead a lot of skeptics to really doubt God. They'll say if God is the foundation of all understanding and and, and your God tells you that, that he is good and that he is all powerful, it's going to lead people to to really critique that from a logical standpoint. And before I get into that, um, I want to to say, whenever I was preparing this lesson, uh, I made two very critical mistakes. And so the first mistake was at 8.30 last night, whenever I had my lesson almost completely done, uh, I decided to go back and listen to what Tim Keller said about this topic. And so I listened for 30 minutes on Tim Keller talking about this. And then I had to completely rewrite my entire lesson. So that was mistake. Number one. So I want to, I say that because a lot of what I'm getting ready to say uh, helps follow the logic that Tim Keller has put forward. If you ever go and read the book reason for God, he does a good job of walking through this. Uh, The second mistake I made as I was preparing this lesson is in the midst of, of rewriting the whole thing. My wife decided to watch the tiger King documentary. And so somehow I have mixed Joe exotic in here just a little bit with uh, God and foundational understanding. So uh, just bear with me as we go through it. But going back, if we understand uh, these fundamental beliefs and we, we see that, that people are going to struggle at times because what people struggle with is this, they go, well, if your God is good like he says he is like he's defined if your god is good then how in the world does he allow suffering in this world and and you you have there's no doubt for any of us right now that based on everything we understand we would say there is evil in this world there is suffering in this world that's not a philosophical view there's people on the call right now who are truly suffering right? So how can God, if he is good, allow that suffering to persist? And the, the answers that the skeptics would probably normally say is this. They'll say, look, your God may be good, but if he allows suffering to occur, he cannot be all-powerful. Or they'll say, if your God is all-powerful and he still allows suffering to occur in this world, then he cannot be good, right? Either way, the God that you claim to follow must not be real, right? And you think about that, that's a pretty good argument. It's a really good argument to make. And that's one reason why it is so important that we study the entire Bible, uh, that we understand it well, that we we really dive into these difficult topics, uh, because we need to be prepared to give a defense for that critique, because it's a very... It's one of the most common critiques I hear. And and I look at some of you guys on the call right now. I know Jim Keating is an example who leads an alpha group for us. It's been involved in that ministry. I guarantee you this is a very common question that people who are skeptical about Christianity will walk into and ask. So one thing Keller always says that I really like is he says, tell me the God that you don't believe in, because most likely I don't believe in that God either. And so the skeptic argument that is saying your God must be or he cannot be all powerful if he allows suffering or if he allows suffering, he can't be all powerful, right? Or he can't be good. That argument is a flawed understanding of God. And so we wouldn't agree with that, with that um, anyway. Uh, we're called to understand God completely, understand his word, understand his, his creation story, understand the entire story of redemption and as we read the Bible and truly understand God better, what we see is that this concept that God is all-powerful and that, and that he is good and that, he does, and that suffering does exist in the world seems to coexist very well in the Bible. Uh, we as Christians have a very unique worldview where we're actually able to make sense of the suffering of this world. And and like I said, that is that is very unique to our religion alone, that we can properly make sense of why there is evil and suffering or what purpose evil and suffering occurs. Uh, I do believe that our God is a good God and that he is in control, even when we are suffering, even when there's evil all around us. And I want to wrestle with that today. Uh, And and what we're going to find today as we go through this scripture and some other scripture uh, throughout the Bible is that we may not always know the exact reason for our suffering uh, or why why suffering seems to have some sort of imbalance in this world. Uh, We may not completely understand why some people seem to be able to live a life of bliss and ease and others constantly are dealing with pains that are very difficult to imagine, we may not be able to completely understand why that imbalance occurs, other than the fact that we live in a fallen world in which we know suffering is present. We're not gonna always understand why, but what we are gonna be able to dig into really well today is that it is obvious to me that God cares deeply about our suffering. If you kind of have two points in your notes, if you're taking notes today, one of the big points we're going to cover is that God cares deeply about our suffering. And we're going to really walk through and prove that today. He cares about our suffering. And the second thing that is clear to me, so kind of point number two we'll walk through today, is this, is that not only does he care about our suffering, but that he uses our suffering for his good, for our good. Right, he uses our suffering. So think about those two points as we go through. He cares, and he's going to use our suffering. Let me read the uh, passage we're going to cover today, and uh, we're going to this lesson will be a little bit different. I'm not going to go line by line through this passage, but it, it does provide a good basis for what we're going to go through. So, First Peter chapter four, verses twelve through nineteen. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So, the first point I really want to talk about here is that God actually cares. And and to start back, I want to go back all the way to Isaiah and the the prophet Isaiah uh, prior to the exile into Babylon. And in Isaiah 43, we see this prophecy being provided uh, that's going to talk about the role of the Messiah. And Isaiah 43 starts with this. It says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your savior. savior. And so, if you think about this passage in Isaiah, and you kind of go back to the text from Peter, what you'll find is that there's no doubt in our mind through any of these texts that suffering is not going to occur. It's very clear that there are going to be trials, there's going to be um, a difficult times in our life. Uh, That has never, ever been in doubt in any way. Uh, But what we see here in this passage, there in verse 2, it says, when you pass through the waters, so so it's saying you're going to pass through the waters. However, they're not going to overwhelm you. And and when you walk through fire, because you will walk through fire, you're not going to be burned. The flame shall not consume you. There's this idea here in this prophecy that you will go through trials, but you will not be consumed because you are not alone, right? You are not alone. And so, uh, if you guys remember back a, a couple of weeks, two or three weeks, whenever I, I did the really odd lesson about angels and demons and all that fun stuff, uh, we talked about this different type of prophecy that was a type, right? So, it was an event that occurred sometime in the Old Testament, an event or a person or an institution. Uh, that really happened or or was very real, but it actually pointed to something uh, that was going to be played out in the future, and that when that future event occurred, you'll be able to look back and have a better understanding. Well, I think this prophecy is one of the first things, not only the first thing, but one of the uh, first things that points to something else that's going to come, and, and, and I think, I really feel like God uses this prophecy and some other things that will happen to give us a better understanding of how our God will always be with us in the midst of our suffering. So, so think about this prophecy from Isaiah for a second saying, you're going to go through the fiery trials, right? You're going to go through it, but I'm, but, but you're not going to be consumed. And then I want you to fast forward just a little bit of time in history during the exile and remember the story in Daniel, whenever the three friends uh, really rebel against what the government's ordered them to do, to not obey the commandments of God, Uh, and they are, and Nebuchadnezzar does what to them, right? He, He throws them into the fiery furnace, and they go into the furnace, you know, knowing full well they may die, but that their God does have the power to save them if he chooses to save them, and we see this. Uh, incredible story where three friends are thrown into the furnace, and when Nebuchadnezzar appears uh, whenever they peer into the furnace, they don 't see three men walking around, but they see four right they see four men, and that fourth man had the image uh, looked like the son of God right and so I really think that this is this is yet another story where where God's saying they were literally thrown into a fiery furnace, right? They they went into suffering that we cannot really imagine. And God didn't stop them from being thrown into that furnace, but he was physically with them in the midst of that, right? Absolutely in them and made sure that they were not consumed. That was a physical event, that then I think points even further to something that will come in the future that we'll look back upon and see a very consistent thread through the entire story of redemption in the Bible. And so the event that I really think that that this is pointing to is the the climax of the gospel narrative, uh, that God truly cares about us so much that he will not allow us to be consumed. You know, God made us this promise back in the prophecy of Isaiah, showed us how this would play out. It showed it physically in the story of Daniel. And then he carries out the prophecy. He fulfills it in its completeness with the gospel narrative, right? Think about this for a second. God, God gave up the comfort of heaven and came down in the flesh to live as man, right? He lived the perfect life And then he suffered for it, right? He suffered unjustly all the way to the cross to die a cursed death on the cross. He suffered when he did not have to. He did not deserve the punishment he endured, just like those friends did not deserve the punishment they endured, right? His punishment, the the punishment of Christ was not only physical, though. What he endured on the cross was absolute wrath that we deserved. It was laid at his feet. He suffered cosmically for something that we really can't ever understand what happened there on the cross. And and this one thing Keller said that just really hit me hard. He says this, he goes, if our God cares that much, right? If he cares that much that he would willingly come down depart from his glory and live as man and suffer for us that way, if he cares so much to make sure that we were saved from never being consumed in the furnace, the internal furnace, then he cares enough to be there in the midst of us for when we're going through these individual trials in our life, right? If he showed us the way he cared all the way to the cross, he's gonna be there for us for these individual trials we're going through. We will not be stopped from having the trials, but we will not be alone. Right? That's what people just don't really understand. We are never alone in the midst of these difficult trials. God told us, he passed we passed through the water, but we would never be consumed by it, right? He paid the ultimate price. And what this will still lack for us is it's going to be difficult for us to to truly still understand all the whys about why different suffering occurs. But the cross in itself proves to us that our God cares. He promised us this would happen. He showed us what it was gonna look like and then he delivered on the promise. We we get to rely upon that. But we're not always gonna understand the whys behind everything, right? You can look at someone who gets to live a long and healthy life and die peacefully and then you, you compare that to someone who seems to, for no fault of their own, have to die at a young age. And you, you sit there and you struggle with why. Like, why is that, that that is allowed? Why does this person have to suffer in this way when that person didn't? And, and we're not gonna be able to answer that question. I don't think we ever will that, be able to answer why some of the imbalance occurs. But that why is not a critical understanding of our faith. And I always think about the story of Job whenever I think about that reality. You know, if you think back to Job, Job was a just man. He followed God. There was, you know, Job suffered in ways that he didn't understand. And if you, if you think about that, his understanding of God did not make sense for why he was going through what he was doing. He was saying, I I haven't sinned. I have not been rebellious against God. Why am I suffering? His understanding was that, and all this, many of his friends' understanding was that the suffering must be because of an action, must be because something he did. And he's saying, I have not done wrong. So there must be something wrong with God's actions in here. I want to talk to the man himself, right? He challenges God. And God doesn't sit there and, and look upon Job and get angry at Job. He listens to the pleas of Job. He, he listens to his people as we cry out for him. We see that all through the Bible. Uh, if any of you guys are in Cliff Sanders' class, uh, Sunday school class, you heard him this Sunday uh, use Psalm 107 as a great example of how often people cry out to God and how he always answers us. He's always there with us. And so Job is crying out to God really accusing God of being unfair in the judgment that he seems to be receiving here on this earth. And God answers him in Job chapter 38. And God's answer is in this chapter. And I know I've quoted this chapter before in this class, and I probably will every three or four months. It's just my favorite passage in scripture right now. Uh, But God's answer really helps Job understand that You're not going to be able to understand every method of God. You're not going to be able to understand everything that always goes on. You're not going to be able to understand the ways of God. But that doesn't, that shouldn't stop you from knowing that I care about you. I'm here in the midst of your suffering and and that I am a good and faithful God. And so I want to read Job chapter 38 uh, verses 2 through uh, 9 or through 11 real quick. God responds to Job this way. He says who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge dress for action like a man I'll question you and make it known to me where were you talking to job when i laid the foundation of the earth tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurements surely you know or who stretched the line upon it on what word's bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness in its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Job is making it very, God is making it very clear to Job that He's got this, right? He's got this. God is in control. He is all powerful. God was the one who made the foundations of the earth. And he listens to the pleas of Job. He never explains to Job why Job had to suffer the way he did. But he does make it clear that he is an all-knowing, all-loving, all-encompassing God. And you need to just put your trust in him. It's something we have to understand. Just because we are dealing with suffering does not mean that God does not care. And it doesn't mean that we're always going to be able to understand every reason why we're going through or people are going through what they're going through. And so not only does God care about this, but I think sometimes as, as as we keep going down another layer here, I think the fulfillment of the promise that God made to us on the cross, that what he actually came down and did, uh, that he died, that he, that he died the death that he did the way he did, and he was resurrected the way he does. I feel like this is so much greater a story of care in the midst of suffering than we really understand it. And if you think back to one of our, our very first lesson we did whenever we started covering 1 Peter, there in chapter one, we, we learned a few lessons uh, we we learn that we've been born again to a living hope through his resurrection. And that in this hope, we have, we have this inheritance that is imperishable. Uh, it's un, death, undefiled, unfading. Uh, it's kept in heaven for you, right? For you, uh, it's kept in heaven. And, and that, yes, we are going to go through suffering in this world. But remember, remember that the prophets of old longed, For the day in which we are in they long to hear the good news to to see the gospel message being fulfilled the way we're getting to see it fulfilled right now and and this story that we're getting to take part of is so incredible and so amazing so awesome that it says that the angels themselves long to look right that they they cannot get enough of this gospel story it's so incredible for them that they're getting to witness the fact that God himself came down in flesh and died for these people that he loved, right? That it is just so incredible, they long to look at it. They can't take their eyes off the story that's unfolding uh, beneath them. And for us, the cross and the empty tomb proves how much he cares. I, I think we underestimate at times just how significant this event is in all of cosmic history uh, that it is so grand that these angelic beings are saying we cannot take our eyes off this beautiful act that God is doing. So yes, are there going to be trials? Is there going to be suffering? Does, is it going to seem unfair? Yeah, we know we're living in the midst of that, but what we're getting to experience is something more incredible than we really uh, think about. And, and then as you keep going a level lower, in Hebrews 12, there's this passage that I came across that I read that, that I uh, that the way it was explained, I've never really understood before. And Hebrews 12 says this, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, Despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, I never noticed there that it says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he came and endured the cross. Jesus saw a joy that was set before him. there was a hope that he had that he that, that when he came down and endured what he did, and that hope that hope that took the cross to fulfill that hope was for you. It was for you. It was for me. It was that one day that his death, the suffering he would endure, the the resurrection would allow us to be reconciled to God. He cared so much that he saw that hope that was going to be in us that he said, I will come and show you self-sacrificial love in a way that nobody can imagine, not even the angels. Right, And that is the joy, the hope that Christ had was in your reconciliation to God. So how can we love and trust and put our faith in God? Because we really have to step back and understand what it truly is that he did. And as we understand that, we have to know, it has to be proven to us that he cares deeply about our suffering or he would have never gone all the way to the cross And if he cares that much, he's going to care about whatever you're going through right now or tomorrow or in the days to come or what you've gone through that has scarred you during this time. He's going to care. He does care about what we're dealing with. So we're going to transition to the second point here uh, that says, if we do believe that our God is good and that he's in control and that he cares about our suffering... Then, then, then what use does this suffering seem to have? Because it does seem like in the Bible that we see lots and lots of examples of where our suffering has a purpose, right? We may not know the why, but we know it can be used for a purpose. And so if you go to Deuteronomy 8 real fast, if you haven't had your Bibles open, Deuteronomy 8 uh, is really talking about the, you know, this is Moses really recapping the entire Exodus story. And in Deuteronomy 8, he's talking to the people, uh, giving them some understanding of why they've gone through the wilderness the way they have. And, And he says this, he says, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So we see here that there was a purpose for the people to go into the wilderness. There was a purpose for all uh, that God had them endure. We see this time and time again, and we saw this in the passage we read today in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, 12 through 19, that there seems to be a reason. And as we see this over and over again, what we'll find is that some of the suffering, some of the trials that we endure, they're used to test us, to refine us, to make us more pure, to draw us closer to him, to, to strip away those imperfections, strip away those impurities that are making us less like Christ so that we can be more like Christ. Uh, it, these, these trials, are, are the suffering we endure, um, are used at times to prove the genuineness, the authenticity of our faith. I mean, think about that. Think about how easy it would be to demonstrate faith in times of peace and prosperity. But how much more difficult it is at times to truly demonstrate your faith when you're going through absolute suffering. How hard it is at times to turn to God In those moments and continue to follow him, even when you don't completely understand why something has occurred, that's when it becomes more difficult. And that's when, as you put your faith in him in those moments, not only does he do incredible things with it, but it will make your faith more genuine and it will provide him more glory and us more glory uh, as we truly, truly trust in him. You know, it convicted me whenever I read Deuteronomy chapter 8 because it says, will you obey pretty much? Are are you going to keep his commandments or not? As you go out into the wilderness, are you going to keep his commandments? And, And I think about what a lesson that is for us right now. Are we going to keep his commandments today and tomorrow in the midst of everything that is going on? Right? Are, are Christian nurses and doctors going to keep the commandment to love self-sacrificially in the midst of all this when they are exhausted and scared to death? Are they going to keep those commandments and follow? You know, I, I think about Christians in the media right now. Are they going to make sure they keep the commandment to always be truthful no matter who it may offend or what message may be getting conflated, right? Uh, I think about all of us at the moment. Many of many people in our community have already lost their jobs. Many more are very afraid they're gonna lose their jobs. In this moment, are we gonna keep our commandment to give to him, right? Are we gonna keep our commandment to take what he has entrusted to us and give back to him? It's very easy to do that when everything's going well and you seem to have a lot of margin, but in these moments of absolute stress, when you don't know if there'll be a paycheck next month, in that moment, Will we be faithful? And as we are through these trials, I'm, I'm saying it, the genuineness of our faith will shine through and God will use it. There's there's another le- layer of this, though, on what else does he use our suffering for? I want to go through. And, and I want you to think about this. Do you realize that most of the time when you look back in your life and you tell a story, uh, most of the time you tell stories, there seems to be some sort of hardship in your story. Uh, You know, I I think about whenever I tell stories about whenever I used to play basketball, Uh, I don't ever tell the stories about the practices that were easy or the games that were easy. I tell the stories whenever I was pushed uh, about those times I was pushed to my limits and, and I felt like I couldn't do it and something happened where you persevere and you overcome. You know, we've got a lot of veterans on the call right now and, and I guarantee you, the war stories that you guys tell about are not the easy days, right? You don't tell about the days where there was rest and relaxation and, and everyone had an easy day. You tell about the difficult journey you went through in war. You tell about the hardships. You, 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 you talk to your brothers who were there with you on the front lines about the things that you endured. And for some reason, it becomes sweeter on the other side of enduring through that suffering. We don't look back on the good times, we look back on the bad times and we get to appreciate what it's like now that we're in those times of peace. I mean, if you, if you, think, about, um, if you think about the reason why a glass of cold water tastes so good when we're thirsty but doesn't really taste as good when we're not thirsty, or, or if, you have, if you have never been a slave or never been captive by anything, you don't truly understand what freedom Truly feels like. All right. So if, if you if you really to keep going down this trail on going, I want you to understand that when the end of times come and that all of this is swallowed up and that the new heavens and the new earth are created and everything is restored. I really believe that the suffering, the pains, the trials of this life will be brought up into everything and it will make the other side of glory so much sweeter that we endured and we were faithful in the midst of trials and that we can appreciate even more what it's like to be in the great glory of Christ. We can look back just like we look back on the difficult times we endured, just like veterans look back on their war stories and truly appreciate what it is to be in the arms of Christ uh, whenever all of this comes to pass. You you think over and over again about how it says that we're to be refined in our faith and made more authentic so that we are a more pleasing sacrifice, so that we're, we're conformed to the image of Christ, to make that joyous occasion just so much sweeter. I don't think we always completely understand the, the long-term nature of how all of this is gonna play out and just how cosmic insignificance it truly, truly is. Let's go through these times suffering for what is good, knowing that there will be a, a reward, a, a, a way to truly look back and be able to appreciate all this at some point. And so just kind of wrapping up this lesson today, I wanna to make sure everyone knows That even though you may not be able to understand the whys of everything, right? You have got to know that God cares about our suffering. Uh, He cares completely. We, We know that because he went all the way to the cross to show us so, right? God cares about that, and he will be with you in those moments right now when you're going through it. As God's people throughout the history of time have called upon him, he has answered them in their times of distress. He may not keep you from going through the fire, but he will be with you as you go through so that you are not consumed, right? So that you are not consumed. He will be there with you. And as we go through these trials, as we suffer, as we deal with the things that we're told we're going to deal with, we have to know he's going to do something with it. So if you go back to your text, just to finish this up uh, to First Peter 4, 12 through 19, You'll see there that we're called, as we understand this truth, we're called to do a few things, right? We're, we're called to make sure that we endure it and not to be surprised by it. Do not be surprised when you go through these difficult times. And as, and given we're not surprised, let's rejoice when we're in them and be glad because we know God's going to do something with this. He's going to do something. We may not know when, we may not know why, but he's going to do something with us. Let's not be ashamed for anything we endure for Christ. Let's glorify him because of the love he has already showed us. And then all of this, I think, really ends well in verse 19. It really encapsulates this entire lesson and says, if you understand these truths, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good entrust your souls to a god who keeps his promises entrust your souls to a god who truly is good who cares about you right now entrust your souls to that and then follow in his example if you're going to suffer do not do it for the evil of this world do not do it for the ways of this world suffer for the things that are good that is how you can follow in the footsteps
2: of Christ. Let me open it up for any questions before I close in prayer. Hey, Blake, um, maybe you could speak into, we did receive a question, and I'm just going to leave it um, anonymous uh, maybe for you to describe. But a question came in is, like, how how can we um, address it to maybe even an unbelieving world um, as Christians um, and, and as we, like, continue to work and maybe not obey um, um the government stay at home right now. There's businesses that are, are are basically saying that, you know, we're going to stay open because we believe God will protect us through this. And they're not, and, and I know that there is some scripture to support that we should adhere to the authorities that are entrusted by God. And maybe you could speak into that a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I had a unbelieving friend reach out to me last night with a, um, A news article from a church, one of the churches where the pastor got arrested, right, and who was holding services, you know, against the orders of orders, recommendations, or guidance of the health authorities, and and holding services saying, "Well, our God will protect us through this," and 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 honestly, I just think that's bad theology, right? It's bad understanding of the Bible. Uh, One, we're called never to test the Lord our God, you know, and uh, Jesus. Uh, Describes that very well whenever he's being tempted uh, in the wilderness. And so uh, I I think we need to be careful to make sure we really understand uh, what God truly teaches you. I think most of what we've seen um, with especially some of these churches is just a bad understanding of scripture. And then normally you can look at who's going to get the glory for this. And if the answer is not God, you're normally off base. And at times I feel like other people are really searching for glory in some of these things that we see. Uh, And so will God protect us? Yeah. In what ways? Will God protect us from the um, um, diseases of this world? Well, we see people dying every single day, right? You know, we may not understand why we see people dying every single day. Uh, Obviously if if, if some gonna say God's going to protect me from this, there's other people who are suffering in other ways that we'd have to then explain, Right. God tells us you're not going to be harmed, right? And whenever he says you're not going to be harmed, we talked about this a few weeks back, he's saying there is nothing that can happen to you because death itself has been defeated. You may die, right? You will die in this world. We're all going to die unless Christ happens to come back right now uh, or sometime in our lifetime. But, but we're going to die. And, but, but do not worry because not even that can harm you. So I think it's really important that we we have a good understanding of what the commands of God actually are, what he actually does teach. Uh, and I think the fact that 99.99% of all churches in America uh, have all said, Hey, look, the church is more than a building. It's more than a service. Uh, the church is the community of believers. It's the body of Christ uh, should, should help us better understand theology. I think there's a lot of things that have gone on that have been misconstrued as well. Um, like I, I, like I, I think, If you were to read what some of the media headlines are on some of the companies here, different things they've said, it would be very different than what they actually said. And um, I I think, you know, um, we just need to be careful to make sure that we're getting our authority of what is true and what is right from God, from his word, uh, before we get it from maybe people who are flawed, who may have a bad understanding. Sorry, it's a long answer that may not have actually answered the question.
2: No, I think you did a great job. And um, uh, one point I want to make before we close out to today is, um, guys, you're welcome to stay in this group and chit chat even after we're done. I'll leave this meeting open. So I certainly want to encourage you guys to continue to have community and fellowship. I know that uh, we kind of miss that right now, um, having lunch together and hanging out. But um, I definitely want to welcome you guys to stay even after this is over.
0: All right, anything else from anybody? And I'll close this in prayer and you guys can hang out as long as you like.
1: Okay, are they all muted? Okay. Yeah, you that? Okay, are you there, Blake? Yeah, there you go, Blake. Hey, uh, the challenging question you had on your, on your front end says, what is a good life? Mm-hmm. And one of the neat things about the, uh, COVID-19, if we want to get any pluses, it has showed that we did have a good life. We're finding out now that, hey, man, I didn't realize what I was taking for bad, for, for, for granted. I don't have now. Yes. So it gives us a chance to show what a good life is. And uh, thank God that uh, it's, a good, it's a good time to be a Christian.
0: Yeah, you know, you think about that. I'll, I'll just give my family as a quick example. Um, I mean, my family, we have been very fortunate through this. Um, I mean, we're, we're not sick. Um, everyone's doing well. M- both my wife and I are still employed. Um, you know, we've been relatively unscathed through all of this. Uh, and so the lesson that I hope that I can take away from it is it has slowed our life down a whole lot, right? It, it's I'm still working just as hard as I've ever worked, um, but I'm doing it from home. And uh, my nights, we're not going anywhere. Uh, we're staying here. And a lot of times what I, what we find is, especially in the American culture, the busyness of our life can really take away from what actually has meaning. And so this has been a great time for me to really step back and, and just be so appreciative and thankful for the simple things in life, uh, but also I, I'm, I'm thinking, you think about this whole idea of... As we've gone through this time, we're going to appreciate it more on the back end when you've been thirsty, you, are, you appreciate what the cold glass of water you know tastes like.
2: Amen.
0: And, and, and I think as we come back together and we get to be in community, we get to have lunch together on Wednesdays, and we get to sing beautiful songs together on Sunday mornings, and we get to shake hands, or at least, you know, bump fists, or you know, we get to do all these things, just think at how much we're going to appreciate it uh, in that moment. And I, I think if you, if you know that in this very small example, right, this very small example, just think about that, that almost prophecy of how it's going to play out cosmically uh, whenever we get to meet our creator, right? Mm-hmm. And all things are made new. Yes. And, and so I hope for, especially I think about Ken on the call right now who's lost somebody through this lost his wife, the one he loves, and I, I just hope that we all get to understand that there is hope on the other side of suffering, and and that God has proven that to us, and uh, in in this really difficult time, not only are we going to get to appreciate what it's like to be back together, um, but it, it's just a small glimpse of the glory that awaits. And, uh, can, I, can I add on to that, later, please? Yep. This is Pat, time, and she went to see uh, our Lord and Jesus, our Savior. Um, this is a testament to our faith and belief, okay? She went knowing that she's going to save a place for all of us at the table, okay? Ken is taking it very well, Amen. because we know the answer, right? Amen. We know Amen. the answer, so you guys just be supported. but remember, the message is real. God is here, and Pat is the most Christian, most biggest and huge believer and loving person I know. We grieve as human beings, as just mortals, but I know she's with Jesus, right? We know the pain's gone. It's the ultimate healing, right? So all you guys just pray. We take care of each other, but Jesus is real, man, and Pat, she's up there saving a place for all of us, okay?
2: Everybody. Oh, no. All right. well, on that note, let you. me pray for yeah, us either.
0: Appreciate it, Derek uh, Father, I thank you for this group of men uh, Thank you for whoever happens to be joining in On this call right now You would be with them And uh, you would watch over them we, we thank you For the life of Pat We, we thank you that we know As Christians We, 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 we get to rejoice and have hope uh, And that, that's something that, that Anyone else in this world cannot have and we thank you that even in death we have that great. Time. We ask that you would strengthen our faith through this time, strip away all the things that have got us distracted from you. Let us have a full confidence that you're a good God who loves us who with us right now. We believe it. And we believe you will use this time for your purposes and your will. And we cannot wait to see the incredible things you will do through it. And we want to be a part of it. Thank you for letting us be a part of it. May you watch after this, men. Let them walk in peace and confidence, knowing that you are their God. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen.